Go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll also be reading from Matthew, chapter 5. I've debated about this message and then decided that uh, I needed to preach it. And then I looked at the introduction I prepared and I said, I've got a little more to add to that. This is the first message and then you'll get the real message in just a moment. One of the sad facts of church life is this. People come and people go. Now I want to tell you from a pastor's standpoint, it breaks his heart to see people leave a church. Amen. You know, it's, you, you grow close to people. And you become friends. They're not just church members, especially in a congregation our size. They're not just church members. They become friends. And when they, they go, it's sort of like losing a friend sometimes. We have seen it happen in this church. It happens in all churches, regardless of size, regardless of where they're located. People come and people leave. There are different reasons why, and we're not going to get into that in this message this morning. But I just want you to know that from a pastor's heart, it always hurts. It always saddens you. We look around us and we say, and I believe you agree with me, folks, I want to see this church grow. I want to see it grow to the glory of God. I want to see it grow in God's way. And another sad fact of church life in this day and age is so often when a church grows, you know how it grows? It grows by getting members from other churches. That's good. I'm not opposed to that. You know, if God is leading somebody away from one church and leading them to another church, if he wants them here, and this is what I tell people when people ask me about the church and visiting, about joining and so forth, I say, this is, and this is my heart, and this ought to be the heart of this church. If God wants you here, we want you here. Amen. If God wants you somewhere else, you need to be where the Lord wants you Amen. if you're going to serve him the way you want to serve him. And so that's just sort of my desire, and I think it's the desire of this church. This message is about why sometimes that we are very reluctant to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the ideal ways for a church to grow is by birth. A lot of times it's by just couples having children and children grow up in church. But the best way for the church to grow is by the new birth. By people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and by bringing them in, they're submitting to scriptural baptism, and then after being baptized and becoming members of the church, being taught to do the things that Christ has commanded us to do. And that's the way the Lord wants his churches to grow, I believe. Now, we're going to read these verses in just a moment, but I'm going to say a couple more things first. If you are saved... I believe that there is a heart's desire in you to see other people saved. If you know Christ as Savior, you want to see folks saved. It may be buried deep under the enjoyment of this present world. It may be buried under some other kinds of feelings, but it is there. And I believe that if you are saved, you want to be used of God to lead somebody else to Christ. Again, that desire may be buried under many other things. It may be hidden under years of failures. 
Maybe you say, I've tried to witness and wasn't too successful. Maybe it's been buried under years of unfaithfulness in this matter of being a witness. Maybe it's buried under fear. And those are the things we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. But maybe somebody would say, you know, I tried witnessing one time. I tried to lead somebody to the Lord. It didn't go like I thought it ought to go. And so I just said, I quit. I'm not going to do that anymore. Somebody else may say, I tried it once and I did such a poor job. I vowed never to do it again. Somebody might say, I tried it once and I failed. The person didn't accept Christ and I went away wondering what they thought about me. We're going to read about a man and what happened after he witnessed. You know, I, we're reading from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. That's when the Apostle Paul was there on Mars Hill in Athens and preached to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 17, beginning in verse 32, Paul has declared the gospel to them. And verse 32 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. And then verse 34 says, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Diocinius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to see what Jesus said about this. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. This obviously is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now in this message I'm going to do something that I said I would never do. Be careful about saying you'll never do something, because just as sure as you say I'll never do something, you'll end up doing it. And I've spent, as I said, a much time in prayerful consideration about this. Most of you know and I have shared something like this before. Most of you know that we have a home business. We got into it several years ago. I realized I wasn't getting any younger. In fact, I realized I was getting older. And I decided we're going to need some income one of these days. When I get so old, folks say, we need a younger pastor. You know, you're just getting a little gray in the hair there. And maybe we need somebody. Man, I don't think you'll do that. But, you know, I realized I didn't have a whole lot of Social Security and I didn't have any retirement and so needed to provide something. And so it's also there to provide an income for my wife when the Lord calls me home. And so that's why we got into that business. It has not been highly successful, okay? We haven't made tons of money like we thought we were going to, but I believe some of the reasons for the failures are some of the reasons that God's people fail or even refuse to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just sort of parallel this and show this to you this morning. Now, as I talk about this, I never intend, never intend to promote any business, my business or any business, from the pulpit of one of the Lord's churches. May God help me never to do that. But the business that we have, we're still in it, but we're not doing anything with it. The business that we have is built on relationships, okay? Getting to know people. It's built on integrity. And I believe that's where the first similarity comes in. Especially today, I think it's difficult sometimes to witness to a stranger, isn't it? 
somebody you've never met, somebody that you don't know, and it just becomes extremely difficult to witness to somebody that you've never met. I believe in the approach in witnessing, inviting people to church. I believe in the approach that I call making friends for Christ. You know what that is? That's relationships. That's relationships. There was a survey done of 10,000 people several years ago, and they were asking people, why do you come to this church? What was responsible for you coming to this church? 2% said I had a special need. I just walked in, I needed something one day, walked in and came to church. That was 3% said I just walked in. 6% said, and I think this is a little high number, I like the pastor, you know. 1% said I visited there. 5% I liked the Sunday school. 1.5% I attended a revival service. 3% said I liked the programs. And look at that, 79% of the people said I attended that church and I go to that church because a friend or a relative invited me to attend that church. And that's why the vast majority of people will go to a church, will visit a church. See, it gives a greater opportunity for a second visit because why? Because they already know somebody that's there. There's a likelihood that your friend, see, you know people I don't know. And I know people you don't know. And so we can invite people that we know that we have a relationship with and they know we're not just trying to get them into church, but if we have a relationship with them and we have this integrity, they know we care about them. They know we care about their souls. They know we care about their lives. But I will tell you this, if there is no integrity in your life as a child of God, you're going to have trouble witnessing to anybody. doesn't matter whether it's family, friend, or Stranger. Now, what is integrity? Well, Webster defines integrity this way. It's adherence to a code of moral values. The word honesty is listed as a synonym. In very practical terms, integrity is honesty of character in dealing with other people. I tell you, I've always wanted to be known, and this is one of the reasons why so when we got into this business, somebody said, well, you're a pastor. You have a built-in group of people to present it to. And I said, no, we'll not do it. And I refused to do it. And the reason being is integrity. This office should never be used to make money off of people. Okay? And so I just said, no, I'm, I won't do it. I will not approach my people about this business. We get paid on referrals. And I said, I will not approach my people about this. Integrity. Integrity is so vitally important. And again, honesty is integrity of character. Well, what is character? In the purest sense of the idea, character is what you do and how you act when you're not around people who know you. You go to another city, you go out of town, you go to where nobody knows you, how you act there, how you conduct yourself there, that's your character. We call it uprightness sometimes. So after several years of being associated with this company, see, here's what I know. I know that it is a company of integrity. We have met the CEO of the company. We know people in the company. They're people of integrity. And I believe that. I know the claims that they make are true. And I know that it really could help people. So if as a member of this company, and I know all of these things, but I don't present it to people, why don't I? That was the question that I faced. And here's the answer, and this is the parallel, the similarity, and where it comes in. We know, 
without a shadow of a doubt. By the way, we're still in the introduction, okay? We know without a shadow of a doubt that our God is truthful. Amen. We know that our God will do what he says he will do. Amen. We know that what he says will come to pass. Amen. We have experienced it. We have taken him at his word. We have repented toward God. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ to save us and he has saved us. He did just what he said he would do, right? And we know that every man, woman, boy, and girl that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior needs the salvation that God offers, right? Amen. We know also Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody is born into this world a sinner separated from God. Everybody needs the salvation that God offers. We know that. We also know that our Savior has instructed us to witness, hasn't he? We could quote Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations or teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We know that we have been commanded to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that that witnessing bears great dividends. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? So see, we know these things. We have experienced these things. And we have confidence in God, knowing that his salvation is true, that he expects us to witness, that he rewards us for witnessing. Why don't we witness? Why don't we witness on a regular basis if we know these things? You see, the parallel is this. I believe some of the reasons, very reasons, I'm going to mention a couple of them this morning, reasons that I was reluctant and am reluctant to share our business is the same reason we're timid sometimes about sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The scripture says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word fear has the idea of timidity, moral cowardice. See, if I'm afraid to witness of Christ, that's not God doing it, you know it? It's coming out of my own human frailty. It's coming out of my own lack of faith in the Lord. It's coming from my own human spirit that just said, well, I'd rather people think this or this about me rather than say things about me for witnessing to them. It's in us naturally. But Satan works on that fear to keep us silent, and we've been silent as God's people all too long, folks. It's time we begin to talk to people, and again, I think the Lord would like us to grow as a church by bringing people to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So we're going to look at a couple of things this morning. Number one, there is the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. See, one of the reasons I've been hesitant about sharing our business is because of one of the scariest words in the English language. You know what that word is? It's just two letters. N-O. No. You know, I've never had anybody just go crazy on me when I tried to witness to them. 
I've never had anybody grow angry with me because I tried to witness to them, but I've had people say no. In fact, the worst that I've ever been treated in trying to witness to somebody is to hear them say this. Now get ready, this is bad. No thank you, I'm not interested. That is the worst. But that little word, no, two letters, and I'm afraid of this word. Now, throughout the scripture, we have testimony, and we just read one of the Apostle Paul. We have testimony of people who tried to witness of Christ, and you know what they were told? No. It has happened to people, and it will happen again. But many times we fail in witnessing of Christ, whether we want to admit it or not, because we don't want to hear the word no. Because somebody might say, I don't want to hear that. But even the Lord himself heard the word no, didn't he? I mean, they even accused him of doing the miracles that he did by the power of Satan. Even today, when we try to witness to someone and they say no to us, you know they're not saying no to us. They're saying no to Jesus. Amen. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm not going to reject Christ. I'm just not going to accept him right now. Well, what happened when Paul witnessed here in our text in the book of Acts? What happened when Paul witnessed the resurrection of the dead to those? You know what some said in verse 32? They said, well, we'll hear you again on this matter. We don't want to make a decision right now, Paul. We're going to wait. And maybe sometime in the future we'll hear you again. We'll listen to you again present this matter of the resurrection of the dead. But see, they're saying we don't want to decide right now. We don't want to commit to Christ right now. Let me tell you this. When you decide not to decide when it comes to Jesus, you've just rejected Jesus. You cannot be neutral about the Lord Jesus Christ. You either accept Jesus or you reject him. Now, why do we have such problems, have such fear of this word? No. Again, fear of rejection. I believe there's something in all of us. You may say, I disagree with you, preacher, but I think if you look deep down inside, there's something in all of us that desires to be accepted. You know, we put on an act sometimes and we say, well, no, nah, not me. But I think deep down inside, if you'll examine yourself, you want to be accepted. A baby is born, and in most cases, immediately accepted by that family, isn't he? I realize there are some cases where that baby is not accepted, but in most cases, 90, I'd say 99% of the cases, that baby is accepted. You know, when you're expecting a baby, you don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be a boy or girl. You don't know how that child's going to act when they grow up, but that child is born into the world, and immediately we accept and love that child, but not long after coming into this world, even though that child's accepted by its parents, that child learns rejection by other people. And we want to be accepted, and we say, well, I'm a child of God. I, I'm witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm doing something good for people. And yet, people will say no to our witness of Christ, and we take it personally, don't we? Many times we say, well, they, they said no to me. Over in 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, the 6th verse. We're not going to turn over there. We're going to quote some verses from there, read some verses from there in a moment. But Israel had been living under a theocracy. They didn't have a president. They didn't have a king. They didn't have a dictator. God was their leader. That's what a theocracy is. They'd been living under a theocracy. The priest, of which Samuel was one, gave the word of God to the people and the people would just 
were expected to do what God had said. But in verse 5 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people said to Samuel, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Well, here's the first problem. God's people want to be like everybody else around them. Okay? They said, everybody else has a king. Samuel, we want a king. Now they did that because Samuel's sons were in line to be priests and Samuel's sons were not people with the greatest integrity in the world. And so they said, we want a king. Samuel didn't like that. That bothered Samuel. The scripture tells us in verse 6, it displeased Samuel. And Samuel made his displeasure known to God. But you know what God said when Samuel made his displeasure known to God? God said this, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. They rejected God. And here's the point. You try to witness to somebody and they say no. They don't want to hear it. Maybe they just say like I said I was told, I'm not interested, thank you. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you another incident. This one in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. Again, the apostle Paul is preaching here in Acts chapter 13. The 13th chapter of Acts and they're in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the congregation is asked, does anybody have any word of exhortation? Does anybody have anything to say? And Paul gets up beginning in verse 16 through verse 41. Paul gives a wonderful account of the history of the children of Israel beginning in Egypt and going all of the way to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look down to verse 42. And the scripture says, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath and so they wanted to hear the word of God. Verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Now, verse 45 says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You know what the Jews were doing? They were rejecting the message of salvation. They were saying, Paul preached this, but we're going to make fun of it. Paul preached this, but we're going to laugh about it. They were contradicting Paul. They were arguing about what he had preached, and they were blaspheming God. They were rejecting the message of salvation. They were saying no to God. They may have seen themselves as saying no to Paul and Barnabas. But they were saying no to God. Well, how did Paul and Barnabas react? Well, you look down a few verses, and it says they wax bold. You know what we need today? We need some of God's people waxing bold. We need some children of God who will just be bold. Now, we may not want to say what Paul and Barnabas said. But they waxed bold and they spoke to the Jews and they said this, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves worthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He said, you just, when you said no to God, you just judged yourself. 
and you judge yourself unworthy of the everlasting life that God offers. You know what you do when you reject God? Judgment talks about condemnation. And in John chapter 3 verse 18, Jesus said this, He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. A lost person who refuses to accept Christ not someday will be judged by God. They're already judged. They're already on their way to hell. If they die in that condition, they will open. See, maybe we need to get a sense of what hell is really like. Go to the Word of God and study that. But a person who dies without Christ opens their eyes immediately. Read the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Opens their eyes immediately in the devil's hell. That ought to be encouragement enough. If you have a friend that's lost, if I have a family member or a friend that's lost, that ought to be encouragement enough to go to them and tell them about Jesus Christ and his saving power. And by the way, you don't have to be eloquent in scripture to do it. I've contended this. We know a few verses, John 3:16, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verses like this one in verse 18 of John. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. Romans chapter 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a few verses that we can learn. You say, I have trouble memorizing. Well, if you can't memorize any verses, just do this because you can remember this. If you're a child of God, you can remember this. Tell somebody what Jesus did for you. Okay? I was separated from God by my sin. I was lost. I was deserving of hell. Read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. I was deserving of hell. I was deserving of the wrath of God. And then one day I turned to God. That's repentance. And I asked him to save me and I trusted nothing but the blood of Jesus, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And let me tell you what happened. God saved me. He saved my soul. He gave me a new birth, a new desire. I want to live for him now and I want to tell others about him now. And that's all I'm trying to do. And then leave it with them. Pray for them. Here's what happens a lot of times. Maybe you've not done it. I know I have. A lot of times we want to try to be the Holy Spirit too. And try to convict that person that they're lost and convict them of their need to be saved. I've told you about my one convert. I'll try to do this very quickly. But a friend and I grilled him for two hours until he told us he was saved. Later his life proved that he wasn't. We try to do the Holy Spirit's job. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of their lost condition. It is God's job to save people. We are called witnesses. If you've ever been a witness, I have, in a court case, what does a witness do? He takes the stand and he tells what he knows to be true. That's all you do. I was lost, but Jesus found me. And Jesus saved me. One lesson I had to learn in our business is when somebody says no, they're not rejecting me, not to take it personally. 
And what we need to learn is when they say no to Christ, they're not rejecting us. They are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is there fear of rejection, here's the number two fear, fear of ridicule. And that's what Jesus is talking about back over here in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Nobody likes, nobody that I know, likes to be made fun of. Anybody like to be made fun of? I didn't think so. We don't like to be ridiculed. We don't like to be mocked. But listen to what Jesus said in verse 11 of this fifth chapter. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. Happy are you. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. How can I be happy when people are making fun of me? When people, revile means to defame, to assail with words. Words that bring disgrace. Words that bring scandal. Reproach. Another meaning is to cast something in one's teeth. You say, how can I be happy when something like that is going on? First of all, look at what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, if they've hated me, they'll hate you. The servant's not greater than his master. If they have despised the master, they'll despise the servant. If you live for Christ, the world hated Jesus, so much so that he was hung on a cross. And if you live for Jesus, the world will have the same attitude toward you. He revealed their sin is what happened. And when we show people from the word, see, you don't like to be told you're wrong, do you? I heard one time that half the people don't like to be told they're wrong and the other half are married. But we don't like to be told that we're wrong. And when you take the word of God and you show somebody from the word of God, look here, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's word is saying that you're a sinner. But I'm a pretty good person. But God's word says all have sinned. All have sinned in Adam. All have born with that sin nature that comes from Adam. And therefore all need to be saved. When you point that out to somebody, they're not going to care too much about that. But they hated Jesus because he revealed their sin. And let me ask you this question. Do you think you and I ought to be treated better than Jesus was treated? He gives us a list of reasons the world will hate and revile and persecute you. First of all, it hates him. He says there in John 15, we are not of this world system. I am a resident of the United States of America, but I've got another citizenship, folks. And it's so much better than this one. I love that. I love this nation. I'm proud of my American citizenship, but I've got a citizenship elsewhere. I've got a citizenship in heaven, and so I'm not of this world system, but he has chosen us out of this world. We're different, and that's the great sin in the world today is to be different, right? We're his servants. And I said, the servant's not greater than the Lord. They'll hate us because they don't know God as their heavenly father. They'll hate us because their sinfulness, again, is revealed. And so when you show somebody that, don't expect to be applauded. Now, you go back to Acts chapter 17, which we read. And we're going to work between Matthew 5 for these last few minutes of this message and Acts chapter 17. But you go back to Acts chapter 17, and it tells us that not only did some reject the witness of the apostle Paul, but it says here in verse 18 of chapter 17, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? That word babbler literally means seed picker. It was used to describe a little bird that would hop around on the ground and pick up seed. It also referred to the loafers of the day. These sort of like homeless guys that just sit around and, and 
spread gossip and share gossip and so forth. They were defaming the Apostle Paul when they called him a babbler. Verse 32 said that some mocked. That word mocked means, it literally means to, to throw out the lip at. It means to jeer. So here Paul had preached the message of the gospel and they're treating, many are treating him the same way. Again, Jesus, even though we don't like to be defamed, says we ought to be happy. We ought to feel blessed when it happens to us. But you go back to Matthew 5 and he puts two conditions on it. Number one, it must be false. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. It must be false. Over in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, the apostle Peter had something similar to say. 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. He's saying don't be ashamed when you suffer for the cause of Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. There's a right kind of suffering. There's a wrong kind of suffering as well. Don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. If you're going to suffer, suffer as a child of God. It must be false and it must be for Christ's sake. That means on account of him. Because of our association of Christ. If people are going to make fun of us, if people are going to laugh at us, it must be false and it must be because of our association, because of our witness, because of our dedication to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord tells us something strange, something that seems strange in this matter of being persecuted for the cause of Christ. He says, when it happens to you, do what? Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Just rejoice. You witness of Christ and somebody says no and they begin to make fun of you. Jesus said, rejoice, be delighted, be pleased, be glad. You say, how in the world could I do that? Well, then he says something else. Be exceeding glad. Now, exceeding glad means to leap or dance much, to rejoice, to exult. One preacher put it this way, talking about being exceeding glad, being persecuted for the cause of Christ. He said, just go home and giggle all night long. I witnessed to the Lord. I did what God told me to do. I did what Christ told me to do. And the world rejected it, but still I'm being obedient to my Lord. God's word teaches us that we shouldn't be ashamed for being reviled for the cause of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, ridicule hurts, doesn't it? Have you ever been ridiculed? I've been ridiculed in many different ways. I've been ridiculed as a pastor. It hurts our ego. It hurts our pride. It hurts our feelings. I have had friends and family ridicule me because we got into the business that we got into. Even though, you know, we think it has good benefits, no, they ridicule me. Our service to the Lord has greater benefits than any earthly business could have. And here's what he says. Here's why we are to rejoice Here's why we're to be exceeding glad. He says, for great is your reward in heaven. I've told you before, I don't call myself a Christian. The world will make that determination whether I'm that much like Christ that they would identify me with him. But if they do and when they do, and if they ridicule me for that identification, folks, I will rejoice in it because the Lord said to 
But he said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. That word great, when he talks about great is your reward, talks about quantity. It talks about amount. So when we're reviled for the cause of Christ, what else does it do? It puts us in some, some real good company. Because he says, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. See, when you stand for Christ and when you witness of Christ and you live for Christ and the world persecutes you, ridicules you, mocks you, laughs at you because of your association with Christ, you're just right there beside men like Daniel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and some of those Old Testament prophets that stood for the Lord. Now in the business we had a saying that goes this way, every no brings you one step closer to a yes. We had one couple we heard about got 42 no's before they ever got a yes. Let me tell you this. God rewards us on our efforts, not on what we call success. Amen. Am I obedient? Am I doing what the Lord said to do? If I am, he'll reward me on that effort. See, the person's decision to accept Christ or reject Christ is up to them. We leave it with him. But we are doing what we have been instructed by the word of God to do. I'm going to close with this account that a preacher gave about witnessing. He was asked this, do you ever fail when you go soul winning? Interviewer asking that. He said, I quickly replied, no. And the interviewer couldn't believe what she had heard. So she repeated the question. He says, I gave the same reply. She jumped to her feet and said, do you mean to tell me that every time you witness, you win someone to Christ? He said, I replied, no, not everyone becomes a Christian. And she said, but you said you never failed when witnessing. And he says this, I tried to clarify the point by explaining that just because a person did not receive Christ when I witnessed to him or her did not mean I'd made a mistake or failed all I was responsible to do was share Christ with the person. It's not my job to save him or her. We need to get that as God's people. The failure lies in being one who never obeys the Lord's command and witnesses of Christ. You can't lead someone to Christ if you don't witness to them. And we want people to be saved. And sometimes we say, well, preacher, would you go see so-and-so? And I'll do it. But you know what? I go to their place, their house, their front door, wherever, and I'm just another stranger coming to them. But if you're their friend or you're their relative and they know that you care about them and you care about their souls, they're more likely to listen to you. Fear of rejection, and I might add ridicule and mistakes and failure causes people to make the worst mistake of all, and that's not to witness of Jesus. I started out by saying this, we say we want this church to grow. And that sadly, most church growth today comes from receiving letters from other churches, and again, that's not bad, but it's sort of like making our herd bigger and better by stealing from somebody else's herd, right? I will not proselyte anybody. I will not go to somebody else's church members and try to get them to join here. If God leads them here, then that's what we want. But if we want the church to grow, we need to have the attitude of 12-year-old Jesus. You know what he said? I must be about my father's business. 
And our Father's business is bringing people to Christ, bringing people to salvation. See, the average church member, and I'm just fixing to go out on this limb and saw it off behind me, okay? The average church member thinks that's the pastor's job to lead people to Christ. Now, if you can show me in the scripture where that's the pastor's job only, I'll be glad to agree with you, but you can't. Vance Habner once said this, and I've shared it several times. He said, it is the job of the church members to fill the building. Amen. It's the job of the pastor to fill the pulpit. The pastor must preach the word of God. Think about this. There are enough lost people just in our area that if people would win them to the Lord, every church in this city could be filled with new converts. And there'd still be lost people to witness to in the city. In 1980, and I've shared this statistic before, in 1980 it was estimated that 10% of the world's population was quote unquote Christian. And that if we continued to win people at the rate that we were winning people to Christ in the 1980s, that by the year 2000, that only 2% of the world's population would be Christian. What do you think that percentage is today? We're 21 years past the year 2000. I wonder if I were to take an honest poll, how many would be able to say that they have witnessed to one person or invited one person to church in the last week or the past month or the past year? How many of us would be able to honestly answer, yes, I have? We may fear rejection. We may fear ridicule. But folks, the thing that we need to fear more than anything else and by the way, it reminds me, I saw something I liked on Facebook this week. It says, people are afraid of COVID. There's something to be more afraid of than COVID. And it's these words, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. And those who don't know Christ as Savior will hear that one day. When they try to say, well, Lord, I did this and I did this and I was a religious person. Listen, I don't care how religious you are. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to be saved today, right now. Amen. Because we're not guaranteed of tomorrow.